if it was easy, anybody could do it. That's why you're here. So, you know, get on with it. It's hard. It's not for the faint of heart and it's not for the people that quit easily. It does separate uh, those that have that stickability, that persistence and tenacity from those that don't. Welcome to MedSider, where you can learn from the brightest founders and CEOs in medical devices and health technology. Join tens of thousands of ambitious doers as we unpack the insights, tactics, and secrets behind the most successful life science startups in the world. Now, here's your host, Scott Nelson. Hey everyone, it's Scott. In this MedSider interview, I sat down with Joe Rafferty, CEO of Vestec, an early stage device company developing solutions for aortic aneurysms. Joe is a seasoned executive with a wealth of experience designing, building, and commercializing medical devices. He brings a comprehensive understanding of the challenges and opportunities in the field with his deep interventional med tech background. Here for you the key things that we discussed in this conversation. First, recruit the right people and find ways to keep them on board. Compared to working with contractors, developing in-house capabilities for critical functions like R&D gives you greater control and saves you from unanticipated delays. Second, proficiency in interpersonal communication is indispensable. Don't hesitate to seek guidance as mentors can be especially helpful during the early stages of your startup. Also, make sure you understand what investors are looking for in order to increase your chances of raising capital. Third, for a successful commercial launch, Launch, single out top performers within your team, conduct a thorough market analysis, and implement effective positioning strategies. Hiring exceptional talent and executing a well-defined plan will set your company up for revenue growth. Before we jump into this episode, I wanted to let you know that we just released the latest edition of MedSider Mentors Volume 3, which summarizes the key learnings from the most popular MedSider interviews over the last several months with folks like Jim Persley, CEO of Hinge Health, Carol Burns, CEO of Cajun Vascular, and other leaders of some of the hottest startups of the space. Look, it's tough to listen or read every MedSider interview that comes out, even the best ones, but there are so many valuable lessons you can glean from the founders and CEOs that join our program. So that's why we decided to create MedSider Mentors. It's the easiest way for you to learn from the world's best medical device and health technology entrepreneurs in one central place. If you're interested in learning more, head over to medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. Premium members get free access to all past and future volumes. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. In addition to every volume of Medsider Mentors, you'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Nadim Yared, CEO of CVRX, Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, and so many others. Learn more by visiting medsiderradio.com forward slash mentors. All right, Joe, welcome to uh, Medsider Radio. How are you, Scott? It's a pleasure to be here and thank you. I'm humbled that you would even uh, uh, suggest that I could bring some value to your listeners. So uh, thank you for the invitation and I'll do my best to be interesting. Yeah, <laughs> well, I think I think there's no question that you'll bring some value. I mean, you've got a, a long storied uh, professional career with a ton of of uh, learnings and wisdom kind of under under your belt. So uh, I think it'll be a fun conversation. We were chatting in the in the pre interview before the discussion how long it's been since we actually connected live. You know, it's been it's been quite some time, but it's it's uh, it's fun to regroup and have these these conversations. And hopefully, they'll be you know part fun, part part educational for everyone listening. But with that said, if you if you don't mind, give us like a you know a two minute you know elevator pitch on your professional background kind of leading up to, uh, you know, your, your current role as CEO of Vestec. Yeah. I like to say I'm the luckiest man God ever created the luckiest Irishman God ever created. And and usually when folks meet my wife, they confirm that yes, he is, <laughs> um, in my professional career, 
I was very fortunate to kind of listen to the marketplace and and whether it was J and J, uh, you know, the mechanical products division at J and J, C R Bard getting into um, you know some of the the membrane oxygenators and, and open heart surgery, ACS guidant with uh, angioplasty and coronary stents. I was very fortunate to be on the cutting edge of global strategics that were getting into major markets and the fields were fallow and you could either, you either knew how to build a business and grow a business or you didn't. And so literally every day it was about moving the needle. And if you could move the needle, uh, obviously it was very reinforcing. And if you couldn't move the needle, obviously it was, it was right there in front of you. And, um, and so it was a great learning relative to how to build a business, but also retrospectively, if something wasn't working, how to fix it. Because if you knew how to build it, you could kind of go back and look at the drawing board and, and understand where it was falling down and maybe, you know, retool it, if you will. That basis, that grounding of great business practices was a, kind of a, a, a springboard for me to move into the, um, into the uh, startup world. Mm-hmm. You know, the old, the old confidence thing, maybe overconfidence thing. If you think you're any good, you know, yeah, you're, you're making a lot of money for J&J and guidance and so on. So, you know, get into the startup world and, you know, prove it. <laughs> yeah. So, so true that your, your comment just like maybe over, overconfidence. I, I mean, that, that really resonates with me because it's like, you're, you're doing well or early in your, maybe the first half of your professional career in large strategics. And you're like, I'm going to take a swing here. And you think, you think maybe, you know, you're, you're definitely going to like hit a double here. De- maybe, maybe in a triple, perhaps a home run. It's like, you get into the startup game and it's like, oof, yeah, this, this isn't, this isn't for the faint of faint of heart, you know? So, uh. Uh, yeah. Really, really good, really good point. And and for those listening that don't get a chance to, um, or that do get a chance, I should say, to go to get to the uh, the the full interview summary for this particular discussion, we'll link to Joe's uh, LinkedIn profile um, on MedSider. But you can kind of check out like all of the various positions and roles that he's had and teams that he's led throughout his career. It's kind of one of those things, Joe. When I look at your background, it's like when I, I remember early earlier in my in my career when I was kind of just getting started. It was like I looked at someone like you, and you're like, wow, that guy has been has done a lot, you know, in his career. It's like, wow, these are, these are probably some amazing, amazing stories along the way, but let's focus in on a little bit of, uh, on Vestech and then we'll kind of go back in time, but you've been at it with Vestech since it looks like around mid 2019, early to mid 2019. Give us a sense for kind of what, what your tech, what you're doing with your technology now, what it does. And then maybe, maybe a, a sense for the kind of the origin story or how, how this even came, came to be. A colleague of mine, a good friend uh, brought this technology to me. I, I had finished with a project and and rang up a close friend who was a, an entrepreneur and an engineer. And he introduced me to a couple of physicians, uh, Johnny Doga and Terry Richard. Doga is a general surgeon from the time when when general surgeons were the king of the hill. And Richard, Dr. Richard is a CT surgeon from Paris. And, um, and they brought to me a technology. And kind of the summary of the technology is physics is a cruel mistress. And if you cross her, be sorry. When they, as surgeons, looked at the early endovascular grafting space, they said, well, of course this won't work because the physics of an aneurysm are such that you put radial force on already diseased tissue and it's going to continue to dilate and give way. So what they did was they created a catheter that has these nitinol sutures already laid flat. If it, um, for those of us that were in the uh, peripheral vascular, cardiovascular space, when they make those nitinol stents, they take a hypotube 
and they laser cut the hypotube in the shape that they want it. So we do that with our sutures. We've got night and all sutures that are preformed in a circle. We preload them in a catheter and we can deliver them securing the endovascular graft to the aorta, either at the initial implant or when the patients come back. And there are about a million patients around the world that have these grafts in place. And, and unfortunately, they're failing at a, quite an alarming rate. So when Dr. Adoga and Dr. Richard brought this technology to me, as you know, I've been in the, the space forever. I called one of my best friends, Dr. Ramaya, Venki Ramaya from Arizona Heart. I asked him to be candid. He, that's the way Venki is. And, and I said, tell me about the problem. Tell me about this concept. And is it a solution? And he said, it's a bit of a, of a challenging secret. I was going to say dirty little secret, but these endovascular grafts are, are moving, they're leaking, and they're causing quite a problem. And Venki's comment to me was, if your device does what they say it will do, you have a wonderful solution, a very, a very simple solution to a, a problem that's global. Hmm. Um, and, and so Venki doesn't mince words. If it was, if it was not good, he would, he would share his thoughts with me. And what he did was he said, um, you, you need to get involved in this. And, hmm. and in fact, Venki is, is uh, on our advisory board, scientific advisory board. And maybe as a testimony to, to how important the project is, Dr. Sean Lydon is the chairman of the Department of Vascular Surgery at Cleveland Clinic. He's our chief medical officer. Dan Clare is down at Vanderbilt now. Dan is the chairman of the Department of Vascular Surgery at Vanderbilt. Dan was at Cleveland Clinic. Um, Dan's on our advisory board. Andrew Holden down in, in New Zealand. Uh, Ramon Verico. We've got kind of the who's who involved relative to communicating the real gravitas, the, the, the challenge that is that patients are experiencing in the market today. Um, you know, they, they get these graphs and they have to be monitored. They have to get a CT scan every year to make sure the graphs haven't moved or leaked. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of like, you know, living with a cancer type thing where you thought you were healed, you thought you got fixed, but you really didn't. Hmm. That, that that graft without endo anchors and endo sutures is what we call ours. Without endo sutures, it can move and leak and you're, you know, you're back in the hospital with the really complex repair that'll, that the majority of the time ends up being an open surgical procedure, mm. you know, years down the road. Nobody's ever healthier years down the road, not usually anyway. So uh, does yeah. that answer your question? It, it does. It does. And for those listening that, that haven't spent time in the, in the kind of the, the cardiovascular peripheral vascular space. So if I, I'm a patient, I have a, you know, an, an aortic aneurysm, sort of like a, a distension in your aorta. This one, one example would be I have, I get a, a stent graft placed, right? So it's a graft that kind of almost seals up that aneurysm. And, but the problem is, as you mentioned, Joe, is that these often, they, they begin to leak, they can, uh, they can move, et cetera. And so the, there's not a lot of great solutions to, to solve for that. Vestec, mm -hmm. you, you allow uh, a physician to, uh, through an endovascular approach, as my understanding, deliver a catheter and almost secure that graft in place to prevent it from, from moving, leaking, et cetera. Is that kind of you, you, you got it. it you, you nailed it right on the head. And, and the key is we're, we're literally creating a hybrid procedure yeah. in, in the open surgical repair. They're literally attaching the graft to the aorta. We're bringing the aorta to the graft and we want to create those adhesions so that the aorta is not going anywhere and the graft's not going anywhere. Got and it. Patient, as you say, that blood is excluded from flowing into the aneurysm. Got it. And it's, it's depressurized. 
So cool. this is my inter- my pitch, my interview, uh, you know, pitch for for joining the team. No, um, jo- joking aside, where, so g- give us a sense for kind of where you guys are at in terms of you know uh, development, regulatory, commercialization. When the technology was brought to me, the intellectual property had a number of years left on it, and my awareness after listening to Global Strategics was, you know, they they'd love a, a clean sheet of paper and twenty years of runway on any product that they would they would buy. Additionally, uh, Kent Stalker, uh, who was a, a key person at ACS Guidance with their stents, their their carotids, their peripherals. Kent Stalker is our COO and VP of R and D down there in that Temecula Carlsbad area. And Ted Wolfman and I worked together at uh, not only at, at ACS Guidance but up at Pathway Medical. Mm-hmm. Ted was the uh, one of the founders and inventors of Pathway, in addition to Rotoblader. So Ted's down there. I gave Ted and Kent the technology and said, look, we need to arguably reinvent this. We can wrap IP around it for the next 20 years. And so what they did was they took a fantastic idea and and they made it even better, much more elegant. And and frankly, uh, we've got, we'll have eight or 10 or 12 different patents on this technology so that a potential M&A partner now has a clean runway for 20 years. And what they were able to do is really strip down and make physicians have told us the device and the delivery system is elegantly simple so that from a manufacturing standpoint, it's very low cost. And from a, I'll call it repeatability or consistency of performance, it's a very high consistency type of a, of a manufacturing process. Got it. So we got the best of both worlds. We've got patents. We've got an, a design for manufacture and a design for low cost manufacture. And frankly, all of that was done. Begin with the end in mind. Here's here's what we need, team, and let's go. Let's go do it. And yeah. boy, did they yeah. they really succeeded quite nicely. I think I think you mentioned Carlsbad, uh, Temecula in in Southern California. You know, uh, uh, Guiden was. I, I, I'm not, I think they still have a facility in in Temecula, but it's like it's one of those hot spots that's sort of underappreciated. You know, in terms of engineering talent. You know, because mm-hmm. obviously, great great place to live in terms of the the, the climate. You know, and um and uh you know, it's just a lot of legacy. You know, uh, experience there. Yeah. So yeah, come one of those underappreciated engineering uh, med tech engineering hotspots for sure. Yeah, you're thousand percent correct. And frankly, we got a lot of pushback about not using a contract R&D or a contract manufacturer. But my comment was exactly what you just said. When you've got people like Ted Wolfman and Kent Stalker who have done the startups before, but also can go right back into their R&D lab Mm -hmm. and implement exactly the, the suggestions that our physician founders and SAB members have suggested, it's really cut our development time and our IP, you know, wraparound, cut all that, the expenses and, and the timeline, cut it way, way back yeah. by having all that inside. Got so, it. And then so, so just real quick, are you guys, you're, you're inhuman, I think, right? I believe, correct. are you, are you actively yeah. commercializing it or just focused on clinical trials right now? Yeah, we're communicating. We've done four pre-subs, pre-submission meetings with FDA. Dorothy Abel is, is a, one of our um, FDA consultants and her mantra has been, from the beginning, uh, communicate early and often with FDA so you don't run into those costly uh, surprises. So FDA is, has essentially uh, given us a, a lot of very positive feedback on every aspect of what we're doing. We're doing first in human experiences for investors and also 
to validate the device before we roll into our 100 patient 12 month follow up IDE. So Got we'll it. do a 510K. Aptus or Helifix is our predicate device. The FDA has confirmed that. We'll do 100, 105 patients and, um, and do a 12 month follow up. We'll probably consent them for five years because we want to track from a marketing and uh, standpoint, we want to know how uh, long-term the uh, the device succeeds. But from an FDA standpoint, it's 12 months. Got so, it. uh, so yeah, right now we've done five in humans. We'll probably do another five more. And part of that messaging is to de-risk for uh, investors that, you know, this device works and it works consistently. And physicians, it's, it's not just a, a device that only the elite can use, that it really is a a device that's very simple and very straightforward that Joe Sixpack in the community hospital can use and and use very safely. Got it. So. Got it. Super super helpful. Um, and those first in human patients are OUS or are they are they? Yeah. Yeah. We, we've done two in Riga, Latvia. Doctor Denise Krevens is a rock star. He's been involved in lots of uh, studies that you know. He was involved in Nelex. Somebody told me he was the the top enroller in limb flow. Hmm. Um, and projects like that. And so he's very prominent OUS and, you know, you get to the VETH meeting and everybody knows him. Um, we've also been up in Canada, Dr. Bao Bui, who was involved in the very early Medtronic graft clearance uh, studies. You know, he's been around forever, was involved in Aptus. Dr. Bui's done three cases. And let's see, uh, Sean Lydon went up to Canada. Venki went up to Canada. Dai Yamanuchi went over to uh, Latvia uh, with us. Uh, Dai is now the professor of the Department of Vascular Surgery at, uh, excuse me, the chairman of the Vascular Surgery at Fujita mm-hmm. Hospital there in uh, in Japan. So yeah, we've got five done. Next week, we're actually headed over back over to Riga to do three more. And we're actually getting ready to head down to Australia. We've, we've got a wholly-owned subsidiary in Australia, Vestec Australia, we'll take advantage of some uh, tax credits. We'll take advantage of uh, of a great clinical environment down there and great operators, and um, and we'll do some some additional cases down there. Okay, so. cool, mm-hmm. awesome. That's uh, that sounds like a sounds like a lot of fun. And and listening to you kind of describe everyone that's involved, right, in, in, in the company, the clinical work, et cetera, I think that just speaks volumes around around the importance of just maintaining connections in in the space, right. And, you know, for someone like you that's in the cardiovascular, the peripheral vascular space, it's it's clear that you've done that because you've, you've been able to pull in such an impressive group of of KOLs. And it just it really it really speaks volumes and and really shouldn't be shouldn't be underappreciated how important that is. But with that said, Jeff, you know, if, if it's cool with you, let's uh, maybe spend the next 20 minutes or so kind of going back in time and learning a little bit more about like the, the very early days of Vestec. And then I'd like to answer your questions, just kind of general advice questions about different, you know, kind of functions or areas of, 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 of a startup. But let's maybe first talk about prototypes. You mentioned, you kind of told the story around how you had this technology. It was, you know, whether, whether you want to kind of, connect, kind of consider it alpha, you know, your alpha build, but it needed to be reworked. And so mm-hmm. when you think about, with all of your experiences in startups, and you think about even just, you know, the, the last several years with Vestec, how do you think medtech entrepreneurs be, should be thinking about those those early stage you know iterations from alpha to beta et cetera, you know especially you know under the guise of you know you're trying to be really capital efficient at that point too. So we'd love to just get your get your thoughts on how to how to best do that. Any any words of wisdom for other other founders and CEOs listening to this? Yeah, 
we had some really significant conversations with investors about doing this work that you're talking about in-house versus farming it out to contract manufacturers. And and what I will endorse wholeheartedly, when you've got the right teammates, Kent Stalker and Ted Wolfman and their team, they brought along two just rock star engineers, John Whitfield and Kenneth Stalker. Apples don't fall from orange trees. You know, <laughs> uh, Kenneth is, is also a rock star. So when you've got people like that, you don't need to wait for a contract manufacturer, contract R&D person to fit you back into the queue and try to develop the ideas that you've brought to them. Because part of that whole uh, working with a contract R&D and contract manufacturer is that it, it is a sinusoidal way of they're working with you now. But as soon as you walk out the door, they've got they have to book those hours with the next, you know, the next vendor, if you will, mm-hmm. you know, the next uh, company. And so it's a lot of, as they say in the UK, fits and starts, you know, stops and starts. And so we were able to mitigate all that because everybody's in-house. And literally, I can be in Carlsbad in the morning and have a conversation, you know, with uh, Ted or Kenneth. And by noontime, there are two or three prototypes on the table talking, you know, we're talking through which is uh, the best way to go. The other is when you've got that capability and physicians give you that feedback, you know, one of the highest levels of respect you can pay to a, a clinician, a physician advisor is to do what they asked you to do and get that back to them quickly. Mm-hmm. And so for our engineers to be able to iterate and take that advice and get it back for an approval or, a, or a, an opinion is, is really, really valuable. And so uh, I've, I've been involved the other way where you, you're working with contract manufacturers and, um, and I will say, this is absolutely a, a faster, more cost-effective, and frankly, the, the output is much higher uh, way to go with R&D and, and project evolution. Right. So. Good. Those, those are really good points. And I think, um, you know, if you're listening to this this discussion and considering or vetting in the process of vetting, you know, a full CDMO or a contract manufacturer, I think you just, as you mentioned, Joe, it's important just to go into that that relationship eyes wide open because to your point, it is it is often ebb and flow. They may be working on, they may have a team that prioritizes your project this week, but then next week it's five others, you know, and you got to ask yourself, how do I keep my project at high priority for them? You know, how do I, how do I get, get them to focus on it, get their mindshare to focus on it? It's a, it's a really, it's a really a key, key challenge. And obviously it sounds like you've been able to solve for that in a, in a little bit of a different way. And I think you know, just to plug Switchback Medical, which is uh, one of the the CDMOs that we work with at at, at Fastwave, they have a unique model where, um, and I think they do this with almost every, every project. I, I'm not entirely sure, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. Is when when you work with them, they have a, a team that's solely dedicated to your project. They're not balancing, you know, three, four, five others. It's it, it's really just an extension of your team and probably rooted in what exactly you're talking about, right? Is they've seen they've they've gone with the other model and seen. Just how challenging that can be, and how how slow and kind of onerous it can be uh, when when you know you've got a highly talented group of engineers, but they're just distracted and you know working on too many projects. So I think it's a it's a really really valid point. Yeah, well, it, it makes sense, frankly, when the thing that these contract manufacturers have to sell is an hourly wage. Mm-hmm. You know, they they've got engineers, and if they're not if they're not working on your project and generating revenue f- for the business, and they've got to be working on something else. To generate revenue for the business, that's that's the commodity they have to sell is an is an hourly wage, right? So anyway, that's what we decided to do early on, and and that's how we got our prototyping done rather quickly. 
And so it's been, and frankly, when we did the prototyping and, and the design, that's where all of those patents came from, you know? So the, the fact that, that our team developed the device and can write all the, uh, the IP around what they developed is, you know, it goes hand in glove. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No doubt. No doubt. Let's, let's, let's transition to another topic, uh, which is, you know, uh, equally as important, if not more, um, which is fundraising. Right. Um, and as the, as you, as you know, as the CEO of a, of a startup, other than maybe building the team and connecting the right people, you know, keeping money in the bank is maybe the most important or right, right up there, you know, with the, with mm-hmm. the key responsibilities as a, as a startup, you know, founder or CEO. So let's discuss this a little bit. Like it, it, it's have this belief that uh, raising capital, especially during the early stages, seed series A is probably some of the most difficult, challenging capital to raise. I mean, once maybe you're into series B, series C, not that it gets dramatically easier, but you know, you're de-risked, you're more de-risked at that point, right? You've got, you know, a, a syndicate ideally of, of investors at that point that are, that are going to, you know, continue to support, uh, support the company if, if you're executing in the, in the right way. But those early stages are, are, are tough. So what have you, I guess, what have you learned maybe at either at Vestec or just in previous experiences about like what, what it really takes to get, you know, some of those early stage rounds closed? Hey there, it's Scott, and thanks for listening in so far. The rest of this conversation is only available via our private podcast for MedSider Premium members. If you're not a premium member yet, you should definitely consider signing up. You'll get full access to the entire library of interviews dating back to 2010. This includes conversations with experts like Renee Ryan, CEO of Cala Health, Nadeem Yared, CEO of CVRX, and so many others. As a premium member, you'll get to join live interviews with these incredible medical device and health technology entrepreneurs. In addition, you'll get a copy of every volume of MedSider Mentors at no additional cost. To learn more, head over to MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. Again, that's MedSiderRadio.com forward slash premium. 